All right. You ready? More Bible boot camp? Let's uh, start with prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are such a wonderful God that you give us the words of Scripture and especially this message of salvation, hope for us. I pray that as we go through it, Lord, you make it new and alive for us again. Lord, even if we've heard it before, I just pray you will um, excite us with the, the power of your salvation, the gift of your salvation. I ask that you help us as we go through this, Lord, to, to see your word clearly, that we will focus, that we will hear your voice. And I ask that you just um, give me clarity of thought, and that as we spend this time together, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be here moving amongst us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are doing the study on salvation. The verses are on the board. So you, everyone has your paper. Write the verses in Numbers 1 through 16. Just to clarify, you write these verses on the top. This is going to give you your overview of the verses you cover. So you fill these in first. Then you notice below, you see number 1 again. This is, you write the same verse. Number 1 here goes down here, and then you write your notes below it. Whatever I talk about on that verse or that comes to your mind, you write it underneath that. Does that make sense? Okay, there were some questions on that. So fill out the verses. If you're writing, there they are on the board for you. And we're going to go ahead and get started. So the study is salvation. What is the purpose of this study? You can write this in. The purpose is to show that salvation is by grace alone. To show that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. So to show that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. The second part of this purpose, it's to give the opportunity for someone to accept Christ. Anytime this is presented, it gives the opportunity for someone to present, to accept Christ. So how are we going to center this? Well, this is easily centered in Christ. The center it is God is love. He longs for us to accept his gift of salvation. Centered in Christ. God is love. He longs for us to accept his gift of salvation. Did everyone get those? So we're going to show that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, because God is love and he longs for us to accept his gift of salvation. We are going to start in, in Genesis. One way that I like to do this with Bible Boot Camp is um, to do it as if I'm giving the Bible study. So today you are going to be Sally, okay? And I'm having a Bible study with Sally, all right? So you're, you're all Sally. So I'm going to go through this Bible study as if I was giving it to one person, Sally, my friend Sally. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to ask you questions, and you respond as if it's just you and me with the Bible study. Is that okay? All right. <clears throat> so Sally, one thing that I've noticed is that in this world, people are searching for peace. They want something more. They're tired of getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, watching TV, going to bed, getting up and doing the same thing over again. 
They want something more. People have so much guilt, depression is at an all-time high. Have you seen that, Sally? Yeah. Statistics show that depression, um, some say major depression is about at 10%, with minor depression 5 to 10%. It's, it's all over. Men, women, children. Why is it that people are so depressed? They're looking for something more. We find in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, how this world began. Is this how God made it? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. So I'll read this one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? It was what? Very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God created everything, and what did he say it was? Sally, God made everything, and it was very good. Very good. People weren't uh, dissatisfied or depressed. It was very good. So what happened? What happened? The transition to this, I ask a question, number one. Is this how we were made? What went wrong? What went wrong? Where did all of this come from? That's what I usually put on number one. I ask a question to transition. Genesis, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see where this all came from. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. We learned last time, Sally, about where sin came from. We learned about the great controversy. But we're going to look here a little bit more, deeper into where this came from. Let's see who would like to read that for me. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will, sh- will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, Sally, did you see what happened? Everything was very good. And God told them not to eat of this tree, but they did. They chose to go there and to eat. And then God comes to them, and what do they do? They hide. They hide from the presence of God. They're running from God. And ever since this time, we have been running and hiding. Running and hiding from the presence of God. So I want you to notice something that happens here. There's this cycle that happens Eve goes to this tree, and there, this this serpent gives her a misrepresentation of who God is. She has a misperception of God's character. That's where sin starts. She has this misperception of who God is, and it causes her to think that she cannot trust God. 
So here's the cycle. There's a, a misperception of God's character. This, the next thing that happens is it causes us to distrust God, and then she disobeyed. This is the cycle. And then we find that the fourth thing that happens is there's guilt. So here I want you to notice there's this cycle, misperception of God's character, distrust of God, which leads to disobedience, and then that leads to guilt. And the next thing we see is they're running and hiding from God. It is the same with us today. The devil makes us think that maybe we know better than God. So we have this misperception of who God is. Maybe God is trying to keep something good from us. And then we start to not trust God anymore. And we think maybe we know better than God. And then it causes us to disobey and then we feel guilty. And this is where we're at in the world. So was this just one incident that happened with Adam and Eve, or does, does this affect us? What do you think, Sally? Does this affect us? Let's go to Romans, and let's find out from the Bible. Romans, it's in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at the beginning of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. Romans chapter 5. Verses 18, beginning, and 19, beginning. You guys with me so far? Okay. Who would like to read that? The first part of 18 and the first part of 19. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness is justifi justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Okay, so notice this, Sally. It says that by one man's offense, Death came to all. By Adam's sin, it, it, death came to all. And then look at verse 18, the beginning. Just as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, because of one, it came to us. Now, some people say, well, that's not fair. Just because Adam did it, why does that affect us? Well, how many of us have sinned? All of us. So we too have made choices in this, but let's think about it this way. Just like one man sinned, it affected all, right? Adam was the representation of humanity. It's kind of like with the Olympics. If we have somebody go to the Olympics, someone from your country, and they win, you win. They lose, you lose, right? They're representing your country. Adam sinned. He brought it upon all men. Adam couldn't give something that he didn't have. Adam had a fallen nature. He couldn't pass on anything but a fallen nature. Does that make sense? So we say it's not fair that it's passed down to us, but we too have played a part. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and we'll see the part we played. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 23. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 23. Could you read that? Now we know that what things soever the law saith, 
He said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank you. So what does that say, say, Sally? It says, how many people are guilty? All. How many have sinned? Does that include you and me? It does. So we have a problem, a big problem. We're all guilty before God. We all have sinned. Is this something we can fix on our own? We can't. Let's go to Romans 6, verse 23. The problem gets worse. We've sinned. We're guilty. And Romans 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is, what does that say? Is death. Now we have a big problem. This is looking pretty gloomy. Why would death be the result of sin? Why wouldn't it be something else? Why would it be death? Let's look at what the Bible has to say. It has the answer. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Who would like to read that? John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, right here. We have a Sally who wants to read. 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Okay, it says, talks about the word. We know from chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus is that word. And it says that in him was what? Verse 4. In him was life. In Christ is life. Apart from him is the opposite, death. So it says that, In God, that's the source of life. It's like if I have a a lamp here and I plug it in, and then the light comes on. If I unplug it, what happens? The light goes out. It's, It's taken away from its source, its source of power, source of life, light. It's the same with God. God is the source of life. If we are connected to him, what do we have? If we are disconnected, what does that bring? Death. We we can't have life apart from him. Let's look at another verse on this, Isaiah chapter 59. This will tell us why the result of sin is death. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. We're looking at the problem, and it's a big problem. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says this. But your iniquities, or your sins, have separated... Between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. What does sin do? It separates us from God. God is the source of life. Sin separates us from that, so the result is death. It's pretty simple, right? That's why death is the result of sin. Remember Adam and Eve. As soon as they had sinned, what did they do? They hid themselves. They ran from God. There was separation. Separation from God. That's what sin brings. Sin by its very nature brings separation. 
So we have two problems, death and sin. We cannot fix either. But some people think that they're okay. I've been a pretty good person. It's, it's kind of like this. If you were sitting, if it was a very hot day in California, and Sally, you were out sitting in a little kiddie pool outside, cooling off, sitting in the little kiddie pool, you know, just sitting in the water, cooling off, and a lifeguard comes, he runs up, grabs you out, drags you out of the kiddie pool, and sits you on the hot cement, and he says, there, I saved you. What would you think? Did he do anything for you? You weren't drowning, you're sitting in a kiddie pool. He actually made it worse, you were trying to cool off. But what if that same lifeguard, you were in the ocean, in the middle of the ocean, you were drowning, and he came and saved you? Would that be different? It'd be very different. Many of us, we think we're in the kiddie pool when really we're in the ocean surrounded by sharks. We don't know our true state. And that's why we're looking at the problem. Because if we don't know the problem, we don't really care too much about the solution. Salvation doesn't seem quite as exciting because we don't really see where we're at. So that's the problem. Sin separates us from God, the source of life, it leads to death. We can't fix this on our own because we've all sinned. It sounds pretty hopeless, pretty dreary. But I want to show you a verse that gives me hope, Sally. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and I want you to read that. This verse gives us hope. Who would like to read that? Raise your hand nice and high. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is our verse of hope. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so we have this problem. We're doomed. Death is our, is our end result. But God's, it says that God is not willing that any should perish. Not one. So he is going to do everything he can to save us. And if you go to John 3.16, what, what has God done to save us? This is our answer. What has God done to save us? John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We won't have to die but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It says that God so loved the world. Do you know, Sally? I used to think that Jesus loved me, and he was up there just begging God to let me live. But what does it say? God so loved that he gave his son. For the, if you're a parent, is it easier to, to give your child or to go yourself? To go yourself. So it says that God made a plan. He made this plan to save us. And so he sent his son. Sin causes death and it brings the condemnation of God. But God says he'll take away condemnation. How does he do that? How does he do that? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Matthew 20, 28. Who would like to read that? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. What does it say? How is God going to do this? 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It says he's giving his life as a, a ransom, a payment or a price. We've been kidnapped by sin and death. And God is going to pay the ransom. We've been kidnapped by death and sin. God is going to make that payment, pay that price. Jesus gives his life. That's the payment. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. You can write this in your notes, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus never sinned. 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he doesn't deserve to die, but we do. That's why he can pay the price. Let's look at one more verse of what he's doing in Hebrews. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. There's so many verses in the Bible that tell us what God's plan is. We have a problem, and he has a solution. Who wants to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9, and then verse 14? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. It says he tasted death for us. Jesus suffered the death that you and I deserve so we can live the life that he deserved. Jesus suffered the death that you and I deserve so we could live the life that he deserves. It says that that he destroyed death and the devil. That is hopeful for us because that's our problem. All right, let's look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Is this making sense? Is it clear? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It says that we were redeemed. We were purchased. We were, we were bought. And, and it says here that it's not from corruptible things. What is it from? What are we redeemed with? Blood. Now, Sally, why would it be blood? Why would it be Jesus' blood? What is it about blood? You got it. There is life in the blood. The Bible tells us that. Blood represents life. And blood spilled represents death. So he spilled his blood for us. Gave his life for us. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. We're looking at lots of verses that talk about us being redeemed. And this one gives us a little bit more on not only Jesus' death, but his life. Romans chapter 5, who would like to read verse 10 and 11. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Okay, so it had to be two things here. You remember our problem? What are our two problems? Sin and, and death. First of all, Jesus paid the death we deserve. But he also lived a perfect, sinless life. If Jesus would have only died, and we were baptized or accepted Christ, then we would have to live this perfect life. But he lived it for us. A perfect Sinless life. How many of you here have ever been baptized? Except to Christ. Have you been perfect since then? <laughs> Put that hand down. <laughs> we haven't, right? None of us have. But that's why Christ not only paid the death, but lived a perfect sinless life. It's like this. If you wanted to be part of this billionaire club, right? But... You not only didn't have a billion dollars, but you were one billion dollars in the hole. So someone had mercy upon you and they gave you one billion dollars. Now what do you have? Can you join the club? You are penniless. You have nothing. You still need one billion dollars. Jesus not only paid the price for that death, but he lived the perfect, spotless, sinless life. Amen. So, how, how do we get this salvation? How, how are we part of this life? How, how does this work? Does the Bible tell us? I'm so glad it does. It makes it so simple. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we need to read verses 8 to 10. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, Sally, I have a question for you. How do we access God's grace? It says we're saved by grace. How do we, how do we get that grace? By faith, okay? It says that, that this grace, we access it by faith, and it's a gift. What do you have to do to get it? If I bake you a nice pie, a beautiful pie, I don't know what kind of pie you like. Let's say it's an apple pie, a healthy one. <laughs> and I hold this pie out to you. I've made it for you, and I'm holding it out, and I say, Sally, here is a pie for you. What do you need to do? Maybe like 20 jumping jacks, or what do you need to do? You just need to accept it, to receive it, to take it says that grace comes through faith. It's not our works. It's a gift from God. So that we're not boasting. We like to do that, right? Look what I did. But it's not, it's not of our works. But it does say after that that we are his workmanship. He brings the changes in us. So how are we saved? There's someone in the Bible that was asking this question. What must we do to be saved? They asked this question and it gives us the answer. So our question is, how are we saved? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. How are we saved? This is a very important question. We need to answer this. 
Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 36 to 39. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay, Sally, so just like us, there's these people, and they hear a message of Jesus. They see their problem, sin, death, there's no way out. And they hear what Christ has done. And they are so pricked to their heart, they're so convicted, just as we are when we study this, that they say, what do we do? And what are they told? Repent. Repent, to turn away from their sin and most importantly, to turn to, to Christ. To turn from sin, to turn to God, to, to make a complete turnaround. And if you look at chapter 3 and verse 19 in the same book, it says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So what must we do? We need to believe on Jesus, and we need to repent, to turn away from this old life we've been living. You know, we looked at the beginning, Sally, and we saw that there's no peace. We go through this routine. We get up in the morning. We go to work. We come home. We watch TV or eat, and we go to bed, and we get up, and we do the same thing again. And, and there's guilt and, and sadness, and God wants to give us peace. So he says, repent. We turn away from that old life and turn to me. I have something better. I have something better. So repent. You know, sometimes we may feel like, I've just done too much. God can't accept me. I've done too much. I mean, I've known. I've known I should do right, and I haven't done it. There's a promise that I love in 1 John. Let's look at that, Sally, because this is a promise we need to cling to. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It gives us instruction, and it gives us a promise. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So God says, if you confess that sin, if you say, God, I realize that I am in the ocean surrounded by sharks. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I have messed up. I've known right, but I haven't done it. What does God promise he'll do for us, Sally? He'll forgive us. We confess that sin, he'll forgive us, and it says he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love when he uses the word all. He says he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Takes away all of our sin. Do you want that peace, Sally? Do you want that peace to know that God has forgiven you? Do you want that peace? In John chapter 1, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12. It says something about if we receive Christ. So, Sally, if you and I receive Christ, what's going to happen? 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Did you get that? As many as receive him, do you want to receive him? If we receive him, he gives us power to become sons of God, part of his family. Even to them that believe on his name. Sally, do you want to receive Christ today and be part of that family? You know, I want to close with this verse, Sally, because we need to have that assurance. John chapter 6. Maybe you have had people disappoint you in your life. Maybe you've had people disappoint you and let you down. They've said something, but they haven't come through. Or maybe you've, you've put yourself out there, been vulnerable, and you've been hurt. But God isn't like that. The Bible says that God cannot lie, and in John 6, he tells us something. John chapter 6, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Verse 37, it says, All that the Father giveth me, this is Jesus speaking, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him or her that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Do you know what that saying does, Sally? That if we come to God, he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to say, oh, I'm sorry, Sally, not you. Everyone else, but not you. If you come to him, if we come to him as we've seen, accept him into our heart, receive him, confess our sins, leave that old behind. It's not worth it. Come to God. He says he will not cast us out. Do you want to make that decision to accept salvation today? To accept God's free gift. All right. That is what I give when I give a salvation study. And I want to tell you guys a quick story, very quick. I was studying with a girl named Courtney. She was in her 20s. And um, I was studying the Bible with her, and we came to this message right here, salvation. How important is this message? crucial. If someone has not accepted Christ, the rest is too hard. We can't do it on our own. We try to do all the works, but we get discouraged. So I was studying this very important message with Courtney. And we went through the study, and I got to the end, and I asked the question I just asked Sally, you guys. And Courtney said, no. What do you do? You guys are going to be giving this study prayerfully to, to someone soon. And if you ask the question and they say no, pray. <laughs> pray like you've never prayed before. I went through this Bible study with Courtney. She, um, she had had a, a, a tough life. I didn't know all the details, but um, she had sent in a Bible study card. So I was just getting to her. We got to this study. We studied it. And I asked her the question. She said no. Always ask a question. I said, Courtney... May I ask you why? Why do you not want to accept Christ? And she said, Chelsea, I know that if I accept Christ, my life would change. And my boyfriend is a Muslim, and he doesn't know I'm studying the Bible with you. And if he knew, he would be furious. And if I accept Christ and it changed my life, I don't know what he'll do. So I began to share with Courtney some verses in the Bible 
about how God would be her strength. About how Corinthians, it says, today is the day of salvation. We cannot put it off. We're not guaranteed it tomorrow. That God would see her through. We looked up some verses and I said, Courtney, would you like to accept Christ? And she said, yes, I would. I said, let's pray. And when I give this study, what I like to do is I pray first and then I let them pray. And if they're not comfortable praying, I'll pray a little bit and have them repeat it. So I said, I'll pray first and then you pray. So I prayed and then it was silent, waiting for Courtney. And pretty soon I heard her say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I said, just talk to Jesus as your friend from your heart. Just tell him what you're thinking. Tell him what you're feeling. And she started praying the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. Christ, come into my heart. Come into my life. Thank you for being with my family so far. I know I haven't honored you. Please come into my life. She was weeping. I was weeping. She's praying. And just as she's in the middle of prayer, the door busts open. Who is it? It's her boyfriend. Standing in the door with a beer in one hand, one hand on his hip, staring at me. My Bible's open in my lap. I'm crying and my hands are folded. Her Bible open in her lap, hands folded, crying. He looks from me to her. He knows what's going on and he is mad. And I'm just looking at him, scared out of my mind. I'm just, I I don't even know if I prayed. I was so scared. And she's sitting next to me and she doesn't stop. She just keeps on praying, head bowed, Lord, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. Change my life. Change my family. I want you to change me. Forgive me for my sins. And he storms out and slams the door. I left there floating. Never having seen someone accept Christ before. I'd never seen that. And I was a part of it. This study changes lives. If you don't know it from your personal life, study it out. And if you do, share it with somebody else. And if it comes to the end and they say no, ask questions, okay? Because you never know what's behind it. Share the promises of God. Any questions on the study of salvation? Was it clear? Yes or no? All right. You ready to give it? All right, good to hear.